from hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels. WestCoastTraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com. Welcome to PQ Beat, a podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Philip Wolf, editor of the PQB News and Vancouver Island Daily. One of the most intriguing and heartwarming stories of the year so far in the PQB area has been the tale of Qualicum First Nation Chief Michael Rikalma, who underwent a kidney transplant with the donation coming from Qualicum Beach Town Councillor Scott Harrison. Here to talk about that procedure and update us on his progress, we're very pleased to welcome Chief Rikalma. Welcome, Michael. Good morning. How are you? Good, good, thanks. Let's get right into it. When did you first discover that you had kidney problems? In the emergency room on February 28, 2018. And how dire was the situation at that time? I understand you even lost your vision briefly. I presume the situation was dire because they put a hemodialysis line in my chest uh, the next day and then two days later they shipped me over to St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. What they did is try to save my kidneys and uh, that did, obviously didn't work. And it was in St. Paul's where I lost my vision. And had you been feeling poorly leading up to that event? Yes, I was. I, I thought I had the flu, actually. On that day, I agreed with my wife to go to our community nurse to see what was wrong. First thing was test my blood pressure, and I found out later that it was extremely high. And, you know, that's when she just did basically just called an ambulance, told me no more talking, sit there, wait. And my wife was with me, Sharon. I think you better listen and not talk. <laughs> and then so ambulance shows up, and off we go to to uh, NRGH. And that was where I met my nephrologist. I didn't even know what one was. And I stayed there for a few days. And then, like I said, they shipped me off to, to St. Paul to try to save it. They, you know, one of them, both of them. And they tried, but it didn't work. And so... After that, how often did you have to do dialysis, and what did that entail? Hemodialysis was three times a week, three days for four hours, and we usually in, I started in NRGH in the dialysis wing, and then from there I got moved to community dialysis, and then I went to Pearl Bernie, and then I went to Cumberland, and uh, that entailed four hours of sitting in a chair. What were some of the ways that you had to alter your lifestyle and how much did you learn about your condition? I learned a lot about my condition. The big change was diet. There were things I take out of my diet because they're not conducive to, to kidney problems. And learning about my condition, I mean, I, I had renal failure. I, I knew I had to have dialysis three times a week for four hours. And then as, as time progressed, I was given the options of trying to do perineal dialysis. That was discussed with my nephrologist. And so we did opt for doing the, they call it PD, perineal dialysis, which is done at home. And from there, I had an issue with that as time went on. And then I went back to hemodialysis. And, and so that was where I, you know, kind of wore it 
still up to work before I got the news of my daughter. What um what were some of the foods that you had to cut out? Tomatoes, anything with potassium. But I had potassium problem. My potassium go up and down. So of course I take things out like potatoes, French fries. But the sugar was out. I had to control my what I drank. If I drank pop, it was anything I couldn't drink anymore, which was you know just just a, a lifestyle change. And was that difficult for you? No, I mean you do what you got to do, right? And I mean, I, there was a dietitian that helped us through this. Give not give us the, the pamphlets and the, the chats every week about this is how you do your change. You learn, you literally learn to shop by label. Can't have that one. Oh, can't have that one. You know, because of what's in it. How important was the support of your wife Sharon and the community during this time? Paramount. The the support from Sharon was. I mean, I, I can't say enough. She literally stopped her life for me for the four years. And the community was saying, what can we do to help you? How can we help you? What do you need? But I mean, it wasn't just my community. It was people in the surrounding communities. Can I have you either ride to dialysis? Do you need to ride to a doctor? Do you need, you know, let me know. What can I do to try to give you a kidney? What's the process? Because, of course, people didn't know that. Why would they need to know it? Because even before that, I didn't know what my blood type was. It was... Turns out I was a little positive, and I didn't know because it didn't matter. My blood type was red. How much did that support from everyone lift you up during the struggle? It just kept me constantly moving forward. I mean, I still worked, which, which was, for me, another good thing. And just knowing people are there for you and with you is something that keeps you going. It's just superior. Was there any point where you thought that you may not find a suitable donor? No, even even my pathologist said the same thing, Michael. It's it's just there's too many people trying, so many people trying. It's only a matter of time, and I never did give up. Anyway, never give up. Never. I I knew that it was just it was going to happen. That's a great attitude. When did you find out that Scott Harrison was a suitable donor, and what was your reaction to his decision? <laughs> when I found out, I mean, too many people had tried started the process of being an oral positive. And so I, I never really hung my hat on the fact that, oh, it's going to be my donor because there's such a lengthy process they go through to, to be compatible. I mean, it isn't just the blood type. It's There's so many factors they got to go through and tests they have to do. So people would start, and I used the term, that then they would wash out somewhere along the line. And that would just very sad for them and for me, but it was a matter of going, well, he's right. And, and same with the people that, just like me, didn't know the blood type. And they said, well, I'm going to see what I can do. And that's on the wrong blood type. I'm sorry. You know, you, again, you tried. But Scott had mentioned that he was a blood donor and he was starting the process. We would see each other at functions and he would let us know that it was, he was continuing on because, of course, we must remember that was during the, pretty much the height of COVID. So things didn't stop it. So, yeah, I mean, he just, he's like everybody else. He just, you just go through the process and see how it works. And one step leads to another step. And and when you found out he was a suitable donor, how did you react? I got the call from St. Paul's Hospital when he told me that my 
surgery was scheduled, and he said to me, he asked me, if, you know, if I had a wish, what would it be? And I said, I want two wishes. I want a kidney, and I want transplants the same day that I failed, which was February the 28th. And so when I got the call from St. Paul that he used operation, your surgery is scheduled for February the 28th. And you have a limb donor, but she wouldn't tell me it was because that's, she said that's not her place. If the donor wants to contact you, that's up to the donor. They may not want to talk to you. No. And then when Scott did phone a couple of days later and said it was him, you know, I would, what do you say? I knew there was Scott and another lady who were pretty much at the same point in the process of seeing how it works. And so I didn't know who it was. And then Scott did go and say, it's me. What do you say? Thank you. You're giving me a gift of life and a gift for life. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. What type of preparation did you have to do ahead of this? I had to take care of my job, and then we had to arrange for someplace to stay for three months. And we had to be over there before surgery on the 24th of February. We both had to go through COVID testing prior to, and because, of course, we went over and I think it was on the Thursday that we got our COVID tests done, and then we were scheduled for surgery on the next Monday, which was the 28th of February. Now, do you remember the discussion you had with Scott immediately after the surgery, and is there kind of a lifelong bond there now? Oh, of course. He shared a body part. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't see him for a couple of days after surgery because I had the middle room next door to me. But he just wanted to, I presume, stay to himself. And that was his choice. And so when we did finally see each other, it was, what do you say to it? Thank you. you. You've literally saved my life. As you mentioned, the surgery was in late February. How are you feeling now? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling really good. I mean, I, I tell people that I feel like I'm just... The energy level, the, the whole, your, your life just changes again. I mean, like, I, I remember what it was like to have this much energy to, to feel so well, and then you can have foods I couldn't have before. I can put them back on my diet, which is kind of nice. What was the first thing that you ate after surgery? Liquid diet after surgery. You must do high-protein diets because you're on steroids and the anti-rejecting drugs. You got to do like nine ounces of protein a day, but I mean that—that's just part of the process. You've got to look after yourself to make sure that everything's working. So, how much follow-up do you have to do in terms of treatment from here on out? Rest of my life. And what will that entail? I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not even <laughs> home yet. <laughs> but I chat with other people that have had transplants. First of all, it starts off with weekly blood work to make sure it's working well, and then it goes to monthly, and, and then I don't know what's going to happen after that. That's kind of where we, the, the patients and clinic days, we kind of parted ways because they, they go home back to their lives, and we stayed. So that's all, you know, all I've learned so far. It's monthly care, and I will get transferred from St. Paul Hospital to kidney care in Nanaimo. Is there any type of message you'd like to send out to all your community supporters? A big thank you 
We couldn't have done it without all the support of so many people. There's just too many to mention. Michael, we're so glad that you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for chatting with me. That's this edition of PQ Beat, produced by the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests, we would like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Search, browse, buy. Black Press Media brings you today's drive. Find your new vehicle on our exclusive platform and get driving. At todaysdrive.com, you'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. With new and used vehicles from the dealership around the corner and dealers across BC, the best venue to find your next vehicle is todaysdrive.com.